Blog Talk Radio. This episode of Attention Talk Radio is brought to you by children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Welcome to Attention Talk Radio, your ADHD information station where we help those with ADHD pay attention to attention. With your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Copper. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Attention Talk Radio. I'm your host, ADHD and attention coach, Jeff Copper. Our topic tonight, ADHD, health outcomes, life expectancy, and self-regulation. And with us in our virtual studio is the Dr. Russell Barkley. Uh, we're going to get into the content that uh, in just a moment that we're real excited about. But first, our program is being brought to you by children and adults with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, better known as CHAD. In celebration of that event, we are anxious to give away some free digital copies of Attention Magazine. To get yours, this is what you do. Just listen to our show. A couple times through the show, we're going to share a secret word. Just write that secret word down. Listen to another show of ours. Uh, For another secret word, write that down. Then send me an email with both secret words in it. The email address is attention at attentiontalkradio.com. When we get that, we will uh, get that off the chat. We'll get you a current copy of Attention Magazine in a PDF form, and then we will send you a digital copy of the next magazine that's in print. It's uh, the annual 2020 International Conference on ADHD is around the corner. I think, in fact, in about two weeks, we got a little promo that we're going to run promoting that, and then we'll get into the meat of the show. Are you ready to connect with your tribe? Join Chad at the 2020 Virtual International Conference on ADHD on November 5th to the 7th. Learn the latest tools, treatments, and strategies to help manage your ADHD. Connect with speakers, peer support groups, and gather lots of new ideas and action plans that may help you or your child with ADHD to live a healthier and stronger life. Register today at chad.org. Thank you so much, Chad, for your continued support. For those that are not aware, Chad is the largest not-for-profit organization that advocates on behalf of those with ADHD. We encourage all of our listeners to either donate or become members to support Chad. Financial stability is really important for them to have the resources to have people lobbying uh, on Capitol Hill for the ADHD community and working with different regulatory agencies on wording to make sure that uh, those with ADHD get the accommodations that they need in order to thrive. Again, for more information, to donate or to uh, become a member, go to chadd.org. And thanks, Chad, for uh, that exciting announcement about the upcoming conference. This this can be a real event. A lot of great, great presentations. Uh, to sign up and learn more, go to chadd.org. If you'd like to learn a little bit more about the conference, you can dial back uh, in early October. We did a, a interview with Dr. Ari Tuckman, the co-chair of the virtual conference, uh, talking about it. And in that interview, we actually um, shared some clips of uh, Dr. John Rady and Dr. Kathleen Nadeau, both are our keynote speakers. So I'm anxious to get into our contact t- content tonight. Our guest tonight is Dr. Russell Barkley, who I have uh, known and interviewed now for about a decade. Uh, all, of the, all of my interviews with him have been very profound in terms of content and my learning. He's got a very impressive uh, bio. Right now, he's a clinical professor of psychiatry at Virginia Treatment Center for Children and uh, Virginia Commonwealth uh, University Medical Center. I could go on uh, about his uh, background and degree, but I'm going to simply say, in my opinion, he's probably one of the if not the foremost expert on ADHD in the world, kind of in the sunset of his career right now. And 
a year ago, he released some research that we're going to be talking about tonight. But I uh, literally just just Google his name, go anywhere on the Internet. He's all over it. I jokingly say sometimes that uh, if you have research and you haven't cited something from Dr. Russell Barclay, it's not necessarily research. Now, I'm just playing around with that because there's a lot of brilliant minds and stuff out there. But he's that pervasive. And we are incredibly honored to have him as a guest on our show. So many of his interviews that I've done with him in the past, I refer people to constantly all the time, and I even go back and listen to him multiple times. So with all that, Dr. Barkley, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jeff. It's good to be back. I love having you on. Um, I'm particularly excited. We've done a lot of interviews going back. I remember our first one was back in uh, March of 2011. It's been a really, really long time. And there's so much that I've learned from you in the years. It's really shaped a lot of, of, of what I do. And I think a lot of the coaching industry is really kind of latching on to some of your theories. And you and I have talked about emotions and motivation and working memory and stuff. But today we're talking about uh, life expectancy and, I, and, and self-regulation. I think everything kind of comes together on this. And you had been doing some research um, a while ago and basically have found that uh, ADHD does have an impact on uh, normative life expectancy. Can you just give a little bit of an overview of, of, of your thought, thoughts on this and life expectancy? We'll talk about the research and then we'll transition into really, I think, the meat of it, and what you call the second-tier variables. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'd be glad to. Thank you for asking. The um, the research began uh, actually out of an idea that I've had for a long time, and that is in our longitudinal study in Milwaukee, following kids up to adulthood, we had clearly shown that they were experiencing a variety of health problems by the time they reached young adulthood, from um, you know teen pregnancies to increased use of substances. Uh, but also accidental injuries as well, and then just generally poorer health and more bodily complaints. Other studies also began documenting problems with uh, binge eating and bulimia in girls, in addition to uh, an increased risk for medical problems, such as migraine headaches and so on, all of which you know, began to suggest that there's more here than a mental health condition. There's a public health problem that people weren't paying attention to. So uh, what I did is I was able to take a lot of the data from the Milwaukee study, and I found at the University of Connecticut, a, um, uh, their actuarial tables that they're allowing us to use to estimate life expectancy. So I ran all the data through that, and, um, and I was shocked at the results, literally shocked. I had no idea. I mean, we knew we were going to see something just because of all the health problems that they were having. What we didn't realize is how big it would be. Um, if you were diagnosed in childhood with ADHD, whether you grew out of it or not, your life expectancy was projected to be about nine to 10 years less. If your ADHD persisted to age 27, then the life expectancy was going to be about 12 to 13 years lower uh, than it would be if your disorder, if you didn't have it or if your disorder didn't persist. And so that's shocking, Jeff, because, and the reason it's so shocking is because uh, if you look at all the other variables we worry about in public health when it comes to life expectancy, smoking reduces your life expectancy by about 2.4 years. If you mm -hmm. smoke more than uh, 20 cigarettes a day, it's about six years. Uh, we know that diet and exercise can improve your life, but that adds anywhere from nine months to two years. Uh, and the same with alcohol use. So, you know, here's all these things from smoking to alcohol to obesity and diet that we're all spending billions of dollars on for public health to improve life expectancy. 
and ADHD turned out to be worse than all of them combined. And the reason is, is that ADHD predisposes people to do all of these things. Uh, and so they carry all the risks with them on top of their risk for accidental injury and, and so on. So, you know, when you think about it, it makes perfect sense, but mm-hmm. it means that ADHD is worse than all the other things we worry about, much worse. And yet people don't even associate it with, uh, with reduced life expectancy. So I heard you presented um, at the International Conference on ADHD on this topic. And just for our listeners out there, life insurance, um, insurance companies um, have actuarial tables that they do to calculate your premiums for life insurance. And there's data that we have had that they accumulate over a long period of time to determine what those are because insurance companies really aren't in the risk business. They're in the, the predicting, but it's really a statistical analysis. And Dr. Barkley, what I right. understand is for years you had this, but you, would, you could never get to those actuarial tables because they're all proprietary. When you did, right. there was like 14 variables that you plugged this stuff into, and you made a, a couple adjustments. And what was, what was really interesting to me is I think there's like four or five of them that you really kind of can't do very much about, but the rest of them are something that you can, which relates back to what we're talking about, that ADD yes. predisposes you to challenges. And, and I think you talk about conscientiousness, and I talk about self regulation and that yes. that is the ability to kind of manage some of this stuff and so it's what what what's fascinating to me is this data is it's it's really shocking and i know you know yeah. that that we need to do some more studies but i think you said that the the correlations are pretty significant so there's probably something here but it's a little frightening to mm-hmm. know that we're talking about like 10 years off of life expectancy for people with adhd yeah. um which is just it's just a number that we didn't know. And so now I like how you're framing out as a public health problem. Well, thank you. I I appreciate that because you're right. Out of the 14 variables that we did uh, use to predict life expectancy, uh, we found that, you know, 10 of them uh, were creating the risk and they're all changeable. They're all malleable. And so what that means is that um, if you want to, you can improve life expectancy. These figures aren't cast in stone. They're just estimates that if you continue on the course you're on, this is what we would expect uh, of your life expectancy. But you can change that. And, you know, it had to do with things like smoking and exercise and sleep and getting more education, uh, you know, and alcohol use and so on, not mm-hmm. to mention driving. And, and so. so you're absolutely right. We, we came up with these uh, nine or ten variables that the ADHD group was experiencing much more adversely than the control group was. But the next thing we did is is we said, okay, so why? What is it about ADHD that is predisposing to all of these, you know, factors that adversely affect your health? And that's where the conscientiousness came in. We've known for a long time in health psychology that the single best predictor of human life expectancy, bar none, is the personality trait of conscientiousness, which you can measure from childhood onward. And uh, so we had a proxy measure for that in our study. Uh, It was a measure of behavioral inhibition, uh, which correlates very highly with conscientiousness, with just thinking about your actions before you do them and about the longer-term consequences of them. That's what conscientiousness refers to. And so we found in our study, as you nicely pointed out, that about – Almost 40% of the variation in the outcomes of our children were as a result of that one trait. So basically, you could take one variable and predict life expectancy from that uh, because that 
was leading to all these first-order health risks. Why wow. are you smoking more than others? Why are you drinking more? And it all comes back to disinhibition and low conscientiousness, which is highly associated with ADHD, and yet it can be changed. So you're absolutely the, right. That, that was a critical finding. How is self-regulation and conscientiousness, is self-regulation a part of consciousness? Is it a different frame? Is it just, what's the relationship between those two? They're the same thing. It's just that in, okay. in the self-regulation literature, we call it one thing, and the personality li- literature gets picked up under the dimension of Excellent. conscientiousness. Okay. Get, so this is going to get regard to the future, you know, as you and I have talked about. Hindsight, foresight, working memory, self-control, those are all part of conscientiousness. Yeah, so this is good. Everybody, this is going to get real fun real quick. So, Dr. Barclay, I want to go to a break real quick, and I want to come back, and I really want to talk about this in depth because the meat of this issue is really gets down to that, and it goes back to the first time I think I saw you was in 2010 talking about uh, ADHD as an executive functioning, and we started to focus on self-regulation. It really starts to come together. For our listeners, our secret word tonight is life. Our secret word tonight is life, and you Google Dr. Barkley, you'll get more than you need, but his website is russellbarkley.org, and with that, we'll be right to these messages. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Do you worry when your child is left out? Does your child have trouble making and keeping friends? Life skills can be challenging for ADHD kids. Learn how you can be your child's greatest ally by reading the book Ned Hollowell described as a game changer. Michelle Borba referred to as The Ultimate Guide for Parents, and Michael Thompson praised as the groundbreaking book you've been waiting for. Go to playbetterplan.com to buy a copy of Caroline McGuire's book, Why Will No One Play With Me? While you're there, subscribe to download her free mini-course on developing social skills for children. That's playbetterplan.com. Are you always late? The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit Timetimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off. Transform lives as a professionally trained ADHD coach at the ADD Coach Academy. ADHD coaching is in demand, a calling, and a career. Learn how you can change your lives by going to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com slash ATR. Managing ADHD is about pausing before you ponder and proceed. This opportunity to practice pausing is being brought to you by digcoaching.com. And now back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. We are here with Dr. Russell Barkley, um, kind of my idol, as I refer to him. He's the, the foremost thought leader in the world in this stuff. And before the break, we're, we're talking about research that he's doing on life expectancy. And I'm, I'm generalizing here, but basically the research is suggesting those with ADHD have a life expectancy of about 10 years, uh, depending on how we divide that up, less than the general population. And underlying that um, the research is all the factors that we took like look as consciousness, conscientiousness or self-regulation. And I want to make a, a statement that I heard Dr. Barkley say that I think is really important as we begin to segue and we start to tie a lot of the shows that we've done in the past. And that is, I believe, Dr. Barkley, you can correct me if I, I, I got this wrong. So I think you said, so if you're telling me you don't want treatment for ADHD, you better know what you're asking for. 
And in this moment, if you're if you don't want treatment for ADHD, we're illuminating. And this is normative information. It, it can you know we have outliers, but it's what you're talking about is a potential life expectancy difference of about ten years. And the thing that really comes together for me is your theories ten years ago that ADHD is really an issue, an executive functioning issue, largely one of self-regulation, which requires the thinking brain to pause and direct an action back on itself to change your behavior, to change the future. It's a very effortful act to use the thinking brain to override the automatic brain to order to self-regulate. And my sense is that's the heart of everything that we're talking about. So correct me or or comment. Is that an accurate reflection? Uh, Yes, it is. Absolutely. Uh, What we're looking at here is that ADHD disrupts those seven executive functions that you've talked about previously on your show And each of those executive abilities is a means of controlling yourself in order to improve your future. Uh, And that's how it gets over into the life expectancy aspect of it, because those executive abilities give you this power of self-regulation. They give you these seven, excuse me, mind tools for self-control. And self-control is part of this conscientiousness trait, and it is related to life expectancy. But I want to keep coming back to the idea this is not cast in stone. Change your self-regulation, change your ADHD, mm-hmm. improve your symptoms, and these figures change. You can eliminate this gap in life expectancy just by seeking appropriate treatment and staying in treatment and paying better attention to your health and your lifestyle. So, you know, it's not bad news. It's actually good news. We can change all of these things. But the bad news is if you don't change them and, if, like you said, if you don't seek treatment and you're going to do this alone – well, then on average, we're looking at 10 to 13 years less life expectancy. I've got to just absolutely love this right now because you can mm-hmm. do something about it. And, and, as a, and, and I just I want to pause here a second and just kind of give everybody a, just a tangible thing of how this cascades. The, and correct, I'm going to put words in your mouth a little bit, Dr. Barthel, you can kind of correct yeah. me. Those with ADHD are predisposed to more, uh, more of a Western fast food, high-carb diet, which we know that. But what that does, it predisposes them to higher incidence of diabetes, uh, high blood pressure, obesity. Um, and these things start to have a ca- cascading effect. The propensity maybe okay. to, to, to do that and or smoke increases cardiac, cardiovascular events. It can, mm-hmm. starts at a younger age. And these are the types of things that hit life expectancy. And all of these things go back to the ability to pause and override and not participate in the, those diets. Um, actually getting sleep, that requires self-regulation. Sleep, I know I do a lot of coaching around sleep about when you're in bed, a lot of times adults, they're doing something that's very, very stimulating to their mind and they're not allowing their mind to surrender to sleep. And so they passed out out of exhaustion. So they're sleep deprived. And that, again, this is all self-regulation as we go back to that. Those are the fundamental things that show up of those health risks down the road over a long period of time. And back to what you're saying is with some help and stuff, you can do something about this and have a fulfilling life. Anything to add? Yes, absolutely. And those are the implications that we discuss with uh, other professionals, with our patients. The problem is most mental health people and, and many coaches as well are not aware of these health problems. So they don't ask about them. They don't assess them when they do their initial evaluations of their clients uh, because they're viewing ADHD as a mental health issue. It's not. It's a public health issue. So broaden the lens. Talk with your clients about their health, their lifestyle, their sleep, their smoking, their weight. You know, you have to look at them as a complete person and not just the specific mental health issue that brought them to you. 
because it's going to be these other things that are going to really wreak havoc on their life down the road. As you pointed out, they're cumulative. There's a cascading across your life if you don't make these changes. But you can make these changes, and professionals can make these changes too by just being aware to ask about them, look for them, and counsel people about them. And that includes primary care providers, not just mental health people, because it's primary care people who will see you for your smoking or your weight, and their problem is they don't assess you for ADHD. So they just assume that if you fail at some kind of weight loss or smoking cessation program, well, then you just don't care. And what we're trying to encourage them to do is to, wait a second, if somebody fails at self-change, you need to assess them for ADHD because one of the reasons they may not be able to change without help is the fact that they have this self-regulation problem. So you're absolutely right, Jeff. It just all ties together into one nice, neat package that this is a, a health disorder, not just mental health disorder. Again, tying so much from our, our prior shows, um, a lot of times I think the mental health field and just society in general is when we're working with people on these, a lot of times it's the prescription is you just need to try harder or you just use willpower. And I've heard you say before so eloquently, <clears throat> willpower is a finite resource. And when it's up, it's gone. And then you kind of go back into that. And I, and I think that that sometimes just the general population's prescription is really to use willpower. As I like to say, use self-regulation to overcome self-regulation. When you think about that, that is really, really, really challenging um, to do, mm -hmm. and it kind of sets you up for failure. Thoughts on that? Well, it, it does, but it doesn't have to because that's why you reach out to your professional, to your coach. Yep. You go on medication. You reorganize your environment to be more supportive of your self-control. This is what people don't understand. They, they think self-control is this little trait that we all have and that you know, we differ in this trait, and there's not much that you can do about it. But research shows that we don't vary that much in our impulse control from well-regulated people to impulsive people. It's not that big a range. Where people differ in their self-control is that smart people know how to rearrange their environment to support their self-regulation. And, uh, and that's why they don't fall prey to the impulsiveness. I'll give you an example. You, can, it, you want to lose weight. So you're walking down the street, okay, and you happen to be passing by a donut shop, and you have this attraction to donuts, right? Well, first of all, a, the smart person wouldn't have walked down that street. He would have taken a different route. He would have crossed the street. You see what he's doing? He's reorganizing his environment mm -hmm. so that the temptation just doesn't even occur. Whereas if you keep bringing temptations into your life, you just keep challenging your self-control and inhibition. And as you pointed out, at some point you're going to exhaust it. So, you know, the best self-regulation is around environmental organization, changing the way your, your house is organized, your job is organized, your workspace is organized, reaching out to your coach to help you do that and to keep you on track in adhering to that reorganization. And then you're not putting temptation in your way and taxing that very limited inhibitory resource that you have. So, you know, it's, it's not as hard as people make it out to be. And you don't have to sit there and grit your teeth and, you know, and avoid falling prey to temptation if you just never brought the temptation yep. into your life. 
it wouldn't be and, a problem, you know. You are – everybody, he is so nailing this right here, and it's buried in a lot of stuff. In fact, I want to go back. You and I did an interview on working memory, and everybody, all you have to do is Google Attention Talk Radio GPS. It's one of my favorite interviews of all time. Dr. Barkley talks a lot about the theory of stuff, and we went into some of the things that I do to help people see it. And we concluded at the end, sometimes paper is high-tech for people with ADHD. And the reason I'm saying this, Dr. Barkley, I have had, particularly with COVID when it happened, when you're working on a computer screen, it's kind of like a, a, a small little window. It's like watching a basketball game through a telescope. In as much as from a working memory perspective, when I went to school, I could spread everything out on the desk. I could annotate and highlight. My eyes could dart back and forth between the two. But on a computer, you look at the screen and you read something. You can't highlight it. And if you're going to compare it to something, you've got to click on a tab and you've got to move and you've got to do all these instructions and hold that thing in thought and remember it by the time you read the other thing. And often what happens is it evaporates and it's hard. And what you do is you end up escaping to go do something else. By having multiple yeah, yeah, computer screens or paper makes it a lot easier. It's less taxing on your working memory, and you have less of an urge to go escape to that. Now, it's great if you remove some of those temptations, but my point really is, is a lot of people come to me. They want tips, tricks, and strategies, and I'm like, it's really about making it less taxing to your working memory by changing your environment, by using multiple screens or actually going on paper. These are the types of things that help people self-regulate that a lot of people aren't necessarily look, working for, and this type of stuff is really problem-solving. Thoughts on that? Is that I mean, yeah. anything to add? Yeah, well, no, I, I think it it fits very nicely in with this idea of the executive disorder. There are ways of coping with an executive deficit without getting rid of the deficit. And, you know, in my latest book, which will be out this month, called The 12 Principles for Raising a Child with ADHD, one of those principles is that you have to offload working memory. And the second is you have to make time physical. And you and I have talked about this before, but that's just two of 12 strategies that you could institute. Uh, and that's not changing your ADHD. You still have your ADHD and you still have the self-control problem, but you've compensated for it. You've basically mitigated your ADHD by going to journals and paper and multiple screens and having one computer strictly for gaming and having the other computer strictly for work on which there are no games, and you've eliminated the temptation while you're working to open up the gaming app because it's not even in the room with you. And it's just that kind of thoughtful reorganization that professionals and coaches and others can help you do with yourself that doesn't get rid of your ADHD, but, man, it can just completely mitigate the impact of ADHD on your work and home life if you just put a little thought into the reorganization. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tell you what, I want to go to a break and come back and pick up on these things and can bring this back full circle because I think I love this conversation. It ties everything together, particularly this topic. The focus isn't on changing yourself and trying harder. The focus is on understanding yourself and rearranging your environment to make it easier for you to self-regulate. Again, our secret word tonight is life, and you've got to go uh, check out Dr. Barkley's site at russellbarkley.org. And with that, we'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to Attention Talk Radio. We'll return in a moment. Your life, your world, your choice. This is Attention Talk Radio. Change your life by learning more about managing ADHD. Other places give you a few tips. The ADD Coach Academy will change your life. To find out more, go to addca.com slash ATR. That's addca.com. Dot com slash ATR. Are you always late? 
The Time Timer is an award-winning time management solution that's helped millions of people with ADHD manage life better. As time passes, Time Timer's bright red disc disappears. Visit Timetimer.com and use the discount code ATR for 15% off. Could hiring an attention coach really help you move forward? (laughs) Does a child get wet when they dive into a swimming pool? You can get started moving forward today. Just call Dig Coaching Practice at 813-837-8084 and schedule a free consultation. Tell us you heard about us on Attention Talk Radio and get 50% off your discovery session. For more information, visit digcoaching.com. Don't delay, do it today. And now, back to Attention Talk Radio. Welcome back, everybody. We are having a... uh Really, really spectacular, insightful conversation with Dr. Russell Barkley. The show started really talking about life expectancy and the research that's out that's suggesting that people with ADHD life expectancy is about 10 years less than the general population. Um, the good news is, is it doesn't have to be that way. You can actually do something about it. Um, the underlying challenge through all this oversimplified is really self-regulation, the ability to pause and direct an action back on yourself. And if a person takes um, takes active uh, with intent begins to manage these things and often with some help, they can actually begin to really uh, mitigate these factors and live a very fulfilling life. And, but the the thing about this conversation, I think that is, is for me the greatest is that it's really about changing your environment to make it easier for you to self-regulate than it is to just using willpower to get over it. And we're talking a little bit about some of these things with regard to working memory uh, and removing some of those temptations. And I will have to say, Dr. Barkley, I find in, in the world today that, as I say, it's convenient for society if you do it their way. And I'm finding more and more society is kind of bullying people into things that make it more difficult for people to self-regulate. Case in point is that during our working memory exercise, uh, interview, or, or, or yeah, we talked about how paper sometimes is, is really um, high tech for people with ADHD, yet we're bullied to go um, paperless with regard to our statement. So becoming aware of your ADHD, aware of self-regulation, and aware that you what works for you and be able to advocate yourself becomes very, very important um, because at the end of the day, it's easier for organizations to send paperless statements, but for many with ADHD, it's really important to advocate to get those. What are your thoughts on that concept and how society is kind of blowing people? Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, we, we are a convenience society and everything uh, about our society is moving more and more toward this kind of, you know, we have drive through coffees and you know, we've had drive through food for a long time. Now we have delivery food, uh, not just drive through. So you don't have to leave your home. They can bring it to your door. Uh, so, you know, that it eliminates all the obstacles that we used to have that helped our self-control uh, and society is removing them. And it places people who have weak self-control in a very disadvantageous position because they're the ones who are going to suffer more than people with really good self-regulation because these um, hurdles, if you will, these barricades that helped us with self-control are gone. So one of the things, as you pointed out, that you have to do is put them back. So, for instance, we like to think that people should be able to change themselves alone. You should be able to pick yourself up by the bootstraps, make all these changes on your own, and if you can't, then you're just a weak person. Whereas that's not what smart people do. Smart people reach out to other people to help regulate them. If they want to get up in the morning and go for a run, they ask a neighbor or a friend, and I'll meet you at this time. And by doing that, you make it much, much more likely that you'll get your butt out of bed and go for that morning run. 
I work with a couple of professional athletes, and they say very much the same thing, that when they set goals for themselves, they set it with other athletes, with other people who will hold them to that. They're more likely to do it, and they're more likely to succeed at doing it. The second thing they do is they try to break their goals down, and you've talked about this beautifully before, Mm -hmm. into much smaller quotas. And then as you hit each small quota, it's a lot easier to say, well, okay, I could do five repetitions or I could do, you know, that five-mile run. And at the fifth mile, you say, you know, I could do one more. And that's a lot easier for somebody with ADHD to do than to say, oh, today's my 10 or 20-mile run for my marathon, or today I have to work out for three hours with the team. If you just chunk it into these little smaller units, they're easier to attain. When you attain them, you're more likely to say, I could do one more, I could do another. And that's all just part of this reorganization. But use other people. Use your coach. Use your friends. Use your colleagues and coworkers as much as you can when you're goal setting. And you'll be a lot more likely to get there than if you said, oh, I I have to be able to do this all on my own if I'm going to be this mature, self-regulated adult. Well, self-regulated adults don't do it that way. (laughs) I I want to kind of capitalize and kind of break things down because when you go on the Internet, that whole chunking it down thing sounds like really pretty good, but – Dr. Barkley, when it comes to working memory, you have visual imagery and you have self-talk. And chunking things down, for many people, they'll sit and they start to chunk it down in their mind, but they have a hard time with the visual working memory actually trying to see that. So a lot of times it's sitting down with somebody and talking out loud. Sometimes the other person doesn't even say anything because if you're talking out loud, you're thinking out loud, and it's easier for you to break these down, particularly if you're doing it on paper because that's relieving your working memory. And then when you go exercise, as I described, it's often a social activity. I was I was internationally ranked swimmer. I've talked about this a couple of times, but since 1988, since I've been out of college, I've had a workout partner the entire time, and rarely do I ever yeah. work out on my own, but I always do it with some other somebody else. To me, exercise happens, but it's really a social activity, and again, I'm only sharing these things because that chunk it down thing, what we've described is the tip of the iceberg, but going back into your theories, the reason it works is you're talking out loud, which is externalizing, make it easier for your verbal working memory. You're putting on paper, which is you're not having to use visual imagery to pull that stuff together, and that's breaking it down into the parts so you have the clarity on what to do. And then you do it with somebody else in the social environment. That becomes easy for people with ADHD to do. But that's the fundamental reason to me why those things that you've described, the chunking down, actually works. Is it goes back to everything that we've talked about and all the shows going back. Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Well, and working out, not just working out with other people, but making a commitment with somebody else. Uh, also improves your motivation. You know, we talked that ADHD is motivation deficit disorder. So it's yep. not just the working memory pieces that you're trying to compensate for. It's the fact that things are not as powerful motivators to you as they are to other people. So you yep. need to find the things that do motivate you. And one of the things that does motivate people with ADHD is when they're with someone else. That per- Just the very presence of that person makes the activity a lot more reinforcing to do than if you were simply trying to slog yep. through it all on your yep. own. So, you know, there, there's this other motivational piece that you've talked about before that you have to address, <clears throat> excuse me, as well. So let's bring the last piece. <laughs> to me, the, 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 the big thing in the room that nobody really talks about, it was you. It was our very first interview in March of 2011 that talked about ADHD as self-regulation and the fact that emotions – are much a part of ADHD because you've got to regulate attention and you've got to regulate emotion. And in that interview, we broke a, a, 
emotions down into details. But at the end of the day, what I like to, for, for laymen that I'm coaching, think of emotions as a reflex. When we're triggered or we're whatever, and we go into that motion, we automatically go into an over, oversimplified fight, flight, or freeze state, and we have a tendency to jump to the end and dwell on the outcome. And I find often with ADHD when that happens, there's a tendency to begin to shame and blame ourselves, which is an emotional response where we're labeling ourselves that actually paralyzes us to move moving forward as opposed to pausing down regulate saying what's kind of going on here my working memory is taxed or i need to change my environment and problem solve around this so that emotion that i bring it up right now when i coach people that's the first thing that we deal with because you have to pause and we have to take that off because if we don't deal with that emotion we just jump to the end and we have a hard time activating thoughts on that concept well, I, I think you're absolutely right. Now, medication can help with that. And, you know, we do need to emphasize that, you know, that is part of the treatment package for many people with ADHD. And it does help them with their inhibition over their primary emotions because we're all triggered by things that happen around us. Every, we all have an emotional brain. The difference between the ADHD person and the person without ADHD is that disinhibition. Uh, other people suppress it, moderate it talk it down, count to 10, go to their happy place, uh, and are able to moderate strong emotions before they act on them. And the person with ADHD finds that much, much harder to do. But as I said, one way of helping with emotion is to survey your triggers, what, what it is that provokes you. Is it a recurring thing? Like, for instance, are you stopping off every Friday at the same bar, and there's always this one guy there who's a bit of a bully or who's provocative, uh, and you wind up getting into an argument or a fight with this guy. Well, guess what? Change the bar. Don't go in there, you know, rather than put yourself in a situation where your emotions have to be inhibited so strongly. There are ways of reorganizing situations uh, that you, you don't have to necessarily uh, provoke that emotion, but it does require working with somebody to kind of survey your triggers uh, and your, the, what are the provocations? And then work around how can I reduce, avoid, or alter those provocations rather than just trying to suppress the emotion, which none of us are particularly good at once, once it's been triggered. So you're absolutely right. The emotion regulation piece is a big part of ADHD that nobody talks about. It's not in the diagnostic criteria, and yet we know it's a major factor in the lives of people, particularly their social lives. The number of friends you have is directly related to your capacity to regulate emotion. It has nothing to do with your attention or your activity level. And so, you know, if, if for that reason, if no, uh, no other, you really do need to get assistance with the emotional piece. Okay. Love this. Again, today we talked about life expectancy. It's, it, this is real. If you're telling yourself that you don't want to get treatment or help with your ADHD, now you know uh, what you're asking for. There's a there's the research, and we, we need to do a little bit more. But there's a strong correlation here, and that you know clearly that there's an impact on this. That's number one. Number two is going back to our interviews. Think of your brain as a two-level system. You have the automatic brain, and you have the thinking brain. The automatic brain is, as I say, the dopamine brain, the emotional brain, where you just kind of cruising all along. The issue really is to engage the thinking brain to effortly, and I love this is all Dr. Barclay, effortly override the automatic brain to, 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 to take a look at what's going on. And part of this is self-awareness, consciousness, and to, in order, you have to pause and, and make that happen, but then 
getting help to problem solve, to reorganize your environment, to make it easier to self-regulate, whether it's cognitive behavioral training or therapy or coaching. At the end of the day, that's all I'm doing is helping people understand their ADD, understand their version of it, and then help them problem solve to change their environment, to make it easier and there's a lot of hope because all those variables that we talked about at the beginning, you can have an impact. If you are working with somebody, you gain that awareness and you adjust that environment to make it happen and you begin to advocate. So at the end of the day, over the last decade that I've known you, Dr. Barkley, we've come up with this blueprint. And to me, it's very tangible. It really makes a lot of sense. We understand what's going on. And this piece of it is if you don't want to get that help, you know what you're asking for because there is a different life expectancy. Anything you'd like yeah. to add, adjust on that? No, that, that about sums it up. I think the take-home message is we've got a public health problem here, not just a mental health problem, but it is changeable. You can successfully alter these predictions by engaging in treatment and in self-improvement in these various areas of lifestyle and health. Um, so, you know, while it's a sobering message to begin with, it is a message of hope for people. It doesn't have to be this way. So, to, to sum this all up, Dr. Barclay, I personally am grateful for you and the work that you've, you've done and that, and I, that I've Thank known you. you and that notion that that, that shift of, of, of really, really going out and defining because executive functions, I remember there's a dog breakfast of definitions a long time ago when anything was going. Yeah. You brought the thing together. We're using self-regulation as one of those major ones to, to use as a Swiss army knife to begin to make some sense of all this. And in the last 10 years, it's cr clear as a bell to me how it all, it all puts together. And my coaching has been revolutionized by your theories and working together with people because it's fun. Understanding ADHD is an issue of self-regulation. I can sit down with people and I can show them what they always pay attention to. Their issue is not – on some things, their issue is not paying attention to it. It's disengaging. It can be like problem-solving. It could be in terms of searching for patterns. It can be in, ch in chase of affirmation. When they understand those, those things, they can begin to manage it with intent. And now there's hope. Yeah. We understand that there's an issue there. And again, I give all the credit to you. And I also will acknowledge that in the world, when you go out there and you're talking to clinicians, it's going to take a long time for all your theories to kind of move through the system because you can't change it overnight. And I think you got you and I were in a meeting one time a couple of years ago, and you said it's going to take a generation for all this stuff to trickle down. But I have been so grateful yeah. to be a voice or, or a platform for you to share your message. So thank you so much for everything you've done. And thank you, Jeff, for all that you do as well. I, I think this is exactly how we move things forward is by getting the information out through your programs and others and at these conferences so that people have a chance to benefit from the thousands of research papers that are out there that don't get trickled down to the patient or the client or the, the practitioner. And we can short circuit that, that delay by doing programs just like this. So thanks for giving me the opportunity to do it. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Everybody, our secret word is life. Go check out Dr. Barkley's website at RussellBarkley.org. Thanks again, Dr. Barkley. Catch us next week. Thank you. Edition of Adventure Talk Radio. Take care. Be well. <laughs>